This week on the Rail Splitter Podcast, we'll talk a little bit about some disappointing news from Hollywood, some news about Abraham Lincoln, and then we'll spend most of our time talking about the House Divided speech. Thanks for checking us out. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition. To each other. And... Party on, dudes! Okay, welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, third episode, A House Divided. I'm one of the co-hosts, Jeremy, and which with me is co-host Nick. What's going on? Oh, not too much. It's exciting. We made it to our third week. Just a real quick listenership update. We, believe it or not, have gone international. Yeah. It's crazy to think, but we have had downloads. And just to let everybody know, we do get some information about where our episodes are downloaded. We don't know anything about who you are or anything like that, but our podcast hosting app, Podbean, will let us know that we had our first international download in Australia. All right. Hello to you down there. They're in the future right now, Good. too. Yes, they are. It's it, it's it's either tomorrow or yesterday. I think it's tomorrow. Uh, down under. So good day to our Australian listener. Hopefully, right now we have one download in the entire continent. Hopefully, he's tuned in for the episode number three. Uh, we also have some Canadian listeners, which is Love pretty Canada. awesome. Yes, excellent. So um, thank you for turning tuning in up north. And then, of course, we've got... Our American listeners and we are gone. We've gone coast to coast. We've got listeners downloads from Virginia all the way to Oregon, and oh. I believe we've been downloaded in seven states so far. Out of the Midwest now, officially. We are out of the Midwest. Well, I mean, we're still in the Midwest, but you know. Yeah, we're we are, and yeah, we try to mention that at the top of the show where we are coming at you live from the land of Lincoln. We span the Continental Forty Eight. We span the Continental Forty Eight. So, and there are ten others. I, they don't know where those are from. And of course, the great state of Illinois is uh, the bulk of our listenership right now, and we are happy to have you, our bread and butter, of course, from Illinois. Please, uh, when, if you get a chance, actually, you could just put it on pause right now, and you go to iTunes, and if you already listen, you can rate us. Um, or at the least, at the very end of this, rate us, write us a review. Um, we'll take any review at this point, um, positive, negative, mediocre. That's right. We do need your feedback. We want to make this as good as we can, um, and those ratings help us expand our listenership. Uh, also, you can tweet at us or check us on an Instagram. We are at Rail Splitter, Rail Splitter Pod on Rail Twitter and Splitter. Instagram. Rail Splitter Pod at Twitter and Instagram, um, or you can email us at TheRailSplitterPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at us. We did have a couple listeners uh, send us some tweets this week, and that's always fun and exciting. And that's kind of one of our goals for the show is just to kind of hopefully create a community of Lincoln enthusiasts that can chat about stuff online. And one of the most uh, the exciting thing about that tweet it was a, it was about our weekly segment this week in Lincoln, which was it was, cool. a, it was a little trash talk too going on. I felt like between you and Blockade Runner there. Yeah, you know, the Blockade Runner is a Star Wars podcast that I would highly recommend if you're a Star Wars fan. It's a great podcast run by some great folks. Um, but they, on their most recent podcast, and this actually kind of is a good segue into our first topic, um, they were talking about the uh, CEO of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, and in their most recent episode, they listed 
her accolades, you know, E.T. and Indiana Jones and Schindler's List. And, and they left out a certain biopic of a certain 16th president, Oscar-nominated film, arguably her best work. So I just let them know, you forgot. You forgot one of her best. You know, you certainly it's Force bit. Awakens and Lincoln. I don't know which one is her best, but one of those two. Uh, I, I'm going to have to go Lincoln on that. Although, a huge Star Wars fan, but, you know, Blockade Runner, he lost a little credibility there. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he reported, the Blockade, Blockade Runner John reported that he hadn't yet seen Lincoln. Uh, so we're not friends anymore uh, <laughs> until he gets that off the to-do list. He's Jar Jar Binks in my eyes He's right Jar now. Jar Jar Binks, and he will defend Jar Jar Binks. It's a good podcast. Check it out. Um, if we, the one thing we had, the one hope, our only hope, I guess you could say, help us, you're our only hope, Kathleen Kennedy, was the only hope for a crossover episode, and he hasn't even seen the movie because that's the one thing Star Wars and Lincoln have in common. Although, Nick, you suggested maybe a political Civil War kind of crossover, which we could maybe do too. I don't know. He's kind of dead to us right now. Although right. there is some others that make up that podcast, so we could reach out to them. That's right. So, so. if you're listening, Adam, Kevin, there's a couple others. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of that, that Oscar-nominated film uh, and the Oscar-winning actor from that film, Daniel Day-Lewis this week announced his retirement from acting, uh, which I think everybody in the Lincoln world kind of took a moment, shed a little tear, uh, maybe watched a few scenes from Lincoln. Um, not that there was ever a sliver of a likelihood of like a prequel or, you know, <laughs> something where like, oh man, let's, you know, Emancipation Proclamation or, you know, just really literally anything just to get more of that amazing movie. Uh, that would have never happened, yeah, but now it looks like it well. actually will never happen. History doesn't serve well for the reboots. No, really. no. And yeah, so I mean, it it's going to... That was a crazy, crazy pipe dream. But anyway, um, it's a good time to take a take a second to, um, and and we've talked somehow. We are you know obviously we're readers and scholars of history as much as we can be, being Lincoln enthusiasts and not necessarily Lincoln historians. We have brought the movie in every episode. And we'll probably continue to do that. We will have an episode dedicated just to it. Um, but man, Daniel Day Lewis in one of the the, the best roles in the best acting jobs really in the history of movies you know i i don't want to be a negative nelly but but i'm going to be i'm going to say there's gonna be a lot of people in hollywood especially you know the people working on productions who aren't going to miss daniel day too much <laughs> uh you know taking the method acting to extremes those guys who carried him on uh the film my left foot when they got to carry him all day and uh <laughs> actually had to feed him i don't think they're shedding a tear no so no. Uh, however the the only uh, actor to win three academy awards for best actor um and there's so you know there are some some kind of endearing stories too about him being in character like sending text messages to sally field as if they were married which is just the weirdest in character thing for somebody playing abraham lincoln to do is to send text messages but he yeah. was a writer. So, yeah, he take, he's supposed to take it like this method acting, but yet he's texting. Hey, man, it was I, I, I thought it was perfect. You know, was, Don't get me wrong. His performance is outstanding. Mm -hmm. Him as a person, I, I think we maybe hold him up a little too high on the pedestal. We don't hear Tom Hanks, a fantastic actor, who has two of those bad boys. <laughs> um, he's not method acting and driving everybody nuts in Hollywood. So, Hey, man. He's, I believe Daniel Day-Lewis, now the retired poor little offer Daniel Day-Lewis, but uh, man, just that movie alone, um, and obviously you got a little bit of Civil War tie-in with Gangs of New York, 
um, which is an interesting movie, and that might be something to talk about too when, when we talk about the draft riots in New York City. Great scene from that movie featuring Daniel Day-Lewis, but uh, alas, we uh, he's got a movie coming out. There's one more movie, and it's like a really strange role that's not Abraham Lincoln, but um, yeah, it's an, it's unfortunate, but uh, the world will no longer be treated with Daniel Day-Lewis's craft. I guess I'm just team Liam Neeson. Yeah, who, who that, once is famous for saying there's a lot of acting, a lot of bullshit in acting. Um, I believe that was directed at Daniel Day Lewis because he refused to talk to him on gangs in New York. Really? Uh, yeah, Did, he met him in the hotel uh, workout room, and he would not call him by his name. So, wow. Um, Liam Neeson has been very critical of method acting, so Did, we can get off on a whole rant on that. We could. Did you know the original, the first rumor I for did. Lincoln was going to be Liam Neeson, which is hard. You know, Lincoln. If the, the the most reliable research on Lincoln is that he had a fairly weak and high pitched voice, which I feel Daniel Day Lewis. If there was a way to nail a voice I've never heard, I felt he nailed it at least as far as I've ever heard it described. Really tough for me to to picture Liam Neeson, you know, especially when you're going with that like taken, you know, I will find you and I will kill you, like, you know, how how does Qui Gon, blockade runners. How does how does Qui Gon become Abraham Lincoln? I just I don't know. I don't know. If you he, know, I don't know if he would have been He's too he's too he's too much of a leading man. Like your 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 stereotypical leading man. I think he's the one that should have been and Lincoln the Vampire Hunter. Liam Neeson yeah. is what was needed as well as many things. Like a complete movie. revamp, and somehow yeah. we've managed to to bring that crap movie into all of our conversations. Anyway, we need to get moving on. So. Um, we will leave you with a little bit of the masterpiece of acting that was Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in Lincoln, and we will be saddened that no more will we be getting new stuff after this next movie comes out. We're stepped out upon the world stage now. Now! With the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. Now! Now, now! And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like pettifogging Tammany Hall hucksters. See what is before you. See the here and now. That's the hardest thing. The only thing that accounts. Abolishing slavery by constitutional provision settles the fate for all coming time not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Thank you, Daniel Day-Lewis, for that. Also, a piece of that movie that we'll take with us. There's a part right after in that same scene where he gets really frustrated, um, and he uses the, an expletive of the day when he says this. Buzzard's guts, man. Buzzard's guts, man. So uh, I think we're going to adopt that. So whenever one of us says something crazy or out there or deserves a WTH or a WTF, we're just going to go with this. Buzzard's guts, man. <laughs> Buzzard's guts, man. Brilliant, brilliant. Like that. You're going to have that on call? Yeah, yeah, it's going to need to be. Uh, other real, One other real quick thing I wanted to chat about, a uh, story I saw come across Twitter and I looked into a little bit. There is a... Retired judge, I believe it was on the Supreme Court in Rhode Island, the Chief Justice in in Rhode Island, had an ex- extremely impressive collection of Lincoln artifacts, documents, 
basically just all things in Lincolnia, and he has donated them. It's like a $3 million collection, nearly $3 million collection of Lincoln memorabilia and Lincoln artifacts that he donated to Mississippi State University. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Frank Williams and his wife, Virginia Williams, donated their Lincoln collection. And they also... Mississippi State, from Rhode Island to Mississippi State. Yeah, and I, I would like to talk about that, but I did want to also mention that um, they also have pledged to financially support their upkeep. So it's like $500,000 also to kind of support the donation. So Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Two things. I saw a lot of people on Twitter questioning the fact that I went to Mississippi State. Um, I'll say this. The fact that they donated it to a university and put it in front of scholars and people that want to research it, that, that is a good thing. We need stuff like that accessible to people who are going to do research and people are going to check it out. I'm not, I don't really care that it went to Mississippi State. I mean, Think they're we, 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 we got to get over it. They taunting them? <laughs> hey, we won. Hey, here you go. Yeah. You can look at the winner stuff. I don't know. I mean, hopefully we'll pick up a few more listeners in the South. You know, I think I, I just ruined listenership in Mississippi. I don't. I hope not. It sounds like Mississippi State's. He also donated quite a lot of Ulysses S. Grant uh, stuff. He's he's also had a collection for that. I think it's great. I have no problem with it being at Mississippi State. Um, obviously, I prefer that it were in Springfield. Um, or somewhere in Illinois, but that's just more selfish. I, I don't think that, you know, Mississippi or, or the South should be eliminated from contention for Lincoln artifacts. It's over, man. Do you know uh, any uh, any idea of some of the items? Did you yeah, see that at all? Um, I'm kind of looking at the news story here now. Um, there was some uh, one one really cool thing. They had a small printing of the Emancipation Proclamation that they gave to Union soldiers to disperse uh, throughout the South. And they, they made like 12,000 of them or thousands of them, but very few of them survived. Uh, he had one of those. So it was an original wow. Emancipation Proclamation uh, printing. Copies are valued at $20,000. So that's just one, um, one artifact. He had a first printing of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which we'll chat about a little bit here in a second. Awesome. Um, that uh, it was a first printing from 1858 that Lincoln actually had signed in 1863. Uh, so that's a you know heck of a heck of a find. Or you know I don't know if he kind of came across this stuff, if he bought a lot of it, or, or how you know how you come come around it. But um, 17,000 different items. That's a lot of work there. Mississippi State looking for two guys. Uh, That's right. to help out. The That's Rail right. Splitter podcast is here to come down there. We'll do an episode. We'll get you on there. That's right. We'll, uh, we'll cover at least 16,000 of them. Yeah, yeah without <laughs> a doubt. So really, really cool. So Frank and Virginia Williams, that was, a, that was good on you guys for, for putting that in the hands of the public and in front of some researchers that can check it out. And um, It's kind of a neat story. He says you know, he used his lunch money, 25 cents a day, to buy used Lincoln books, and that's how he started as a collector. So really, really neat. So, so all our young just, listeners start saving up that allowance money. That's right. That's right. All the, all the presidential artifacts for you guys are ones and zeros right you now. You guys start making your kids do that? Uh, yeah. It's like, hey, if you guys want some memorabilia, you're going to have to start saving up. So, um, As I open this new beer here. Yeah. Uh, one other issue, you know, if you've listened to other two podcasts, you know, we, we've kind of gone after Fillmore a little bit. Um, yeah, I was feeling a little bit bad about that, but then I was doing some research, and then I came across this quote from a Yale professor, I believe in 98, to, dedu to discuss Fillmore is to overrate him. 
Wow. Therefore, we oh, are wow. actually doing Fillmore a favor by bashing him. So, Miller Fillmore and all your followers, you're welcome. Yeah, we showed that guy, Yale Schmale. Uh, man, that's impressive. All right, today's topic, or this week's topic, I should say, we are going to take a look at the House Divided speech, one of the uh, speeches that put Lincoln on the map, and uh, at least from a national standpoint. So I'm going to turn it over to Nick to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background information, and then we'll kind of get into a little bit of the, the meat of the speech. Yeah, it's been a while since I, I read the thing, and then uh, I was reading it the other night, and I just started thinking about it. I mean, he brings up a lot of different things kind of leading up into that speech, and there's a lot that goes into it besides the famous quote. Um, and kind of the reasons why he gave it and uh, kind of what he was accusing Douglas of um, is kind of fascinating. You know, I think something to remember is, you know, the slavery issue, this 1858, am I correct on that, on the year uh, when this comes out. So it's about four years before that, the Kansas-Nebraska Act kind of, you know, throws a wrench in that whole compromise as far as the slavery issues um, concerned because that kind of opened up all these territories that were supposed to be free now, all of a sudden, you're going popular sovereignty, or excuse me, I totally butchered that word today, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but basically open up the states to decide whether they want to be free or slave. So in a sense, it was kind of opening up territories that were once closed off to slavery, giving them the opportunity to expand. So, and that really, you know, and uh, brainchild behind that was uh, Douglas, who kind of introduces all that. And I think for a lot of the slave states in the South, they saw this as an opportunity to spread their way of life. Yeah, and I think that that's really when you're looking at the antebellum years politically, the admission of states as free or slave is the predominant issue. Um, and, and every time we have a major turning point, that's what happens. Compromise of 1850, Compromise of 1820 with Missouri. Like, Mason-Dixon line, and you know all of these things. We talked about Clay in our last episode. All of the near breaking points revolve around that. So, um, depending on your knowledge of history, and we don't want to make this too wonky into to history, we also don't want to make it too too simple. But um, I think it's interesting when you look at the Constitution, the makeup of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Small states have equal power to big states in the Senate, right? So they're overly represented. So there were not very many people at all living in Kansas and Nebraska. However, if they're admitted as a slave state, having two more slave state senators is huge, and it's disproportionately representative. And that's the one foothold that the South had from a political power standpoint because they were vastly outnumbered by the North. Yeah, and I think the the election of 1856, you know, you got uh, Buchanan's running on, um, a very big supporter of the Kansas-Nebraska Act for the Democrats, and then, you know, Fremont's very um, anti-slavery um, coming out. So it was almost kind of a referendum on the Kansas-Nebraska Act um, in a lot of people's eyes. And then when Buchanan wins that, you know, um, it, it's kind of fascinating, and Lincoln brings up a lot of this, too, in that speech. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, you got the decision of the Dred Scott um, case. You know, Dred Scott, who was a slave, and then... Um, ended up living in a free state for some time, so basically suing to see um, if he was going to have his freedom. It goes to the Supreme Court, and then, you know, shortly after uh, Buchanan goes in the White House, the decision's made, basically, um, that if you're a slave, you at no time can pretty much get your freedom. And that kind of throws everything. And they also rule 
that Congress does not have the power to prohibit slavery in territories. And then that becomes, in addition, on top of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, that, you know, um, really riled up a lot of people coming into that. And that plays a lot into what Lincoln's playing off in this speech I will talk about. And then eventually you go to Kansas. Kansas starts putting together, um, basically, you know, trying to figure out if they're going to be free or slave. Um, They have a referendum, basically, to um, legalize slavery. It's voted down, but then you have some wonkiness that takes place in the state elections where basically the pro-slavery supporters gain a threshold and they pretty much create a constitution um, for slavery to become a slave state. Right, and all of these events kind of coming together um, certainly play into that central. And interestingly, Stephen A. Douglas is a player in many of many of this. He's certainly in the 1856 election. And, you know, there are definitely a lot of angles to the abolition side where, you know, there's very much human rights activists that want wanted complete abs- complete and total absolution and full citizenship right away. There were people who favored colonization. There were people who favored compensated emancipation where they kind of purchased slaves out of you know, purchased people out of slavery, I guess you could say. But on the other side, I think there was even more division on the slavery side. And Douglas, I think, is a fascinating foil to Lincoln because he's trying to be politically astute enough to, to walk that tightrope, to still be a pro-slavery politician, but do it in a way that was appealing enough where he could get things accomplished and eventually, I think, seek the presidency, become president. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, he creates Kansas-Nebraska. I, 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 Douglas is fascinating during all this, mm-hmm. I, I, all the way through the election until his death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you have him. He creates Kansas-Nebraska Act. Buchanan's a solid supporter in that. The Dred Scott decision comes out, you know. And then we have the, what is it, the Lee Compton mm-hmm. Constitution out of Kansas where it's basically saying we want to enter as a slave state. And then Douglas comes out against that. Because of the way it got about, he felt that there was corruption involved to how that was created, and it was not truly taking the people's voice into consideration. Buchanan was a strong believer in the Lee Compton Constitution, as well, along with a lot of the Southern Democrats, and that's almost where the split happens mm-hmm. amongst the Democrats right there. And that's really, I mean, Douglas almost sinks his ship, ship right there as right. far as his chance of getting in that White House right. is and concerned. It, it's so fascinating because... I think there are so many parallels there with Lincoln also walking a similar tightrope on the abolitionist side, trying not to be too abolitionist while also trying to do right by his conscience. Um, And really, I don't think he was quite as ambitious for the White House as Douglas, which probably ended up playing into Lincoln's favor. Um, But it's interesting to draw those those comparisons because really, um, especially with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, the election of 1856, like that really shows Douglas's... Um, role in the Senate, his, you know his leadership role, but also his other, you know, his ultimate failure. He did not get the nomination in '56, even though he wanted it, and they went with Buchanan, who you know had an impressive resume. But at the time, he was ambassador to the United Kingdom, former senator, former representative from Pennsylvania, ended up being a you know a complete disaster as a president. But um, that this is an interesting tipping point where we where we'll eventually see the fracturing of the Democratic Party. And we'll talk about that in our next episode, which is going to focus on the general election. 
the fatal four-way. The fatal four-way. Um, I do want to mention one thing really quickly uh, for the, for the, you listeners. We, we're trying not to go chronologically through Lincoln's life with this podcast just because we don't want to end up in April of 1865 and then call it a day for our show uh, after the assassination. So the, we'll, we're going to jump all around. It's not always going to be a history-based conversation. So uh, last week we did the 1860 nomination. This week we're going back a couple of years to 1858. Next week we're going to go to 1860. Um, so we're just trying to do that just to keep keep it interesting, and we don't want to go sequentially just to kind of get in a rut. So we'll throw in some fun stuff here and there, some media stuff, talk about movies, TV, books, all that kind of stuff. So just kind of a, as an aside, um, if you're wondering why we did the nomination last week and we're doing a house divided this week, we're just trying to have some fun with this. And we're just trying to provide a little bit of context to going into this House Divided speech. And I think kind of the big issue here is kind of, to me, after I reread it and thought more about that speech, a lot of Douglas played a huge role in the way he worded stuff, put it together. And I think part of that is because of Douglas, where he stood on the slavery issue, his division with the Democrats, to him actually starting to get some support amongst Republicans, and Lincoln starting to realize that. And I think that all comes to the play to everything. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, with the context here, you know, the slavery issue is almost to the breaking point at this time, 1858, as most of us know. Um, so just providing a little context in that speech. Okay, and then I would like to provide context on the other end before we kind of break it down a little bit. Um, you know, just today, there's the big unveiling of the, the Senate health care plan and it's basically assumed there will be no Democrat votes in support of that. Um, there were no Democrat votes in the House in support of their version. And I think a lot of people throw out the House divided speech in times like this. Like, you know, oh gosh, politics are so polarized. And you know what Lincoln said, a House divided cannot stand. I think that that cheapens the situation that Lincoln was faced with and the country was faced with in 1858 through 1865. Like what we we are in no danger whatsoever of split you know splitting up blue states and red states. We are in no danger whatsoever of having a civil war that's going to cost millions of lives. Um, so I think that that's that's a bridge pretty far. However, I think a lot of the sentiment about the House divided speech um, still holds up. Like there, it, we are a house divided in a way, um, but we're a house divided that's that's going to stand. I think we'll be okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, I am very much on one side of the healthcare issue debate. Um, I think many of us are, and, and politics are certainly polarized. Uh, but similarly to what we talked about last week, politics have a way of kind of coming to the middle, and hopefully that's going to be what happens. Yeah, we see many times, you know, there's a great book out there, The Fourth Turning, where it kind of talks about history's cyclical, you know, and they talk about the first phase is like this growth period expansion. If you think like the 50s or industrial revolution then you go through a period of awakening hey we grow you can step back all right let's try to correct some of the wrongs in society your modern civil rights movement then you have like the third where we're just bickering and arguing and then the fourth is your crisis mm -hmm. and then that leads back to the first so um i don't know what that says about us presently sometimes are we in the third with the fourth come i hope we're in the fourth to be honest um but you know, so I think this is something that happens, you know, especially in democracy, you go through periods where there is, you know, polarized sides. And then I think the Civil War was an extreme case of what that leads to. And hopefully because of the Civil War, we'll never experience something like that again in America. Right. 
Right. I mean, and and I don't, and I please don't misunderstand me. I don't mean to downplay civil rights issues that confront us. And I don't mean to say that those aren't important or that everything's hunky dory. I absolutely do not believe that. However, I do think that when like I do think Lincoln was being literal that the country would not survive half slave and half free. And it turned out he was correct. Like his house divided cannot stand was not figurative in a sense like we need to get together guys what he was saying is i think more predictable more predicting what was going to happen than issuing a warning i don't think he was saying it's it's time for us to get on the same page here it was not reaching an olive branch saying let's not be divided anymore what he was saying was if this continues and is going to be this is going to continue to be and something catastrophic is going to happen. So let's take a look at the speech. Uh, I apologize. My brother's calling me. So, Curtis, a Curtis. little shout-out to Curtis. Curtis Stangy, I'm sure you're a avid Rail Splitter listener. And remember, we record on Thursday nights. <laughs> okay, so looking at the House Divided speech, the thing that jumps out at me that I'd like to talk about is um, – there's often, oftentimes people talk about, well, the Civil War was, wasn't about slavery, it was about this or about that. It was about things other than slavery, but it was primarily, predominantly, overwhelmingly about slavery. And I think this speech certainly shows that because it's the House Divided line is right at the beginning of the speech, and it is clearly about slavery. Well, I mean, you know, you hear that all the time. You just look at the Democratic Convention alone that led to a split um, amongst the Democrats, the main issue that split them was slavery itself. So to say the Civil War is not about slavery is crazy. You know, I, yeah, you ever see that Simpson episode mm-hmm. where he's like trying yeah, to get yeah, citizenship yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. just like, I believe with uh, the answer, who was it that was writing it down? Was it yeah, the, it was Apu. Apu. Yeah. Apu was 100% correct. It is slavery. Yeah, because he, yeah, there was a citizenship exam. I should try to pull that up. Um, it was a citizenship exam and he, he lists, you know, w- w- the question was what what caused the Civil War, and he goes into like, oh, the se- overwhelming sectionalism and economic pressures about the agrarian South and the industrial North, blah 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 blah, and then the guy giving the test goes, just say slavery, and uh, I think it, I think I think the guy giving the test is actually more correct, although at the time it was, you know, I didn't feel that way. I'm like, oh man, a poo knew, and this guy didn't. Um, I'm gonna see if I can pull that up so we can listen to the audio on that, but um, maybe I gotta get my my kids. Minecraft video off there first, but um, and I also do want to put it in a little bit more context. This happened, and I think it's important where this happened, just because I'm a, I'm a Springfield nerd and a history nerd in that way. It was at the old state capitol, and it was right after he was nominated. So essentially, this is his speech, accepting ex- accepting the nomination for the uh, Senate race in 1858. And that brings up an interesting point there too. You know, the fact that they had the convention was important for Lincoln. And I believed, I, I was looking at some stuff, he used this House Divided quote before this speech and a couple other speeches, mm-hmm. arguing for the Republicans in Illinois to become more united, to have that convention so they could back that one candidate instead of splitting their votes so much. So I believe part of, you know, his thought process is, you know, the Republicans themselves needed to be united, mm-hmm. especially with Douglas starting to get some support and some people talking about, um, some Republicans talking about supporting Douglas. And, and there's some thought out there that Douglas was even playing around with the idea maybe of, you know, joining the Republicans as well. Right, right. Let's, uh, I, I think I found that clip, and I think that was a brilliant tie-in. So let's bring that and see if this will work. All right, here's your last question. What was the cause of the Civil War? 
actually there were numerous causes aside from the obvious schism between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists economic factors both domestic and international played a significant hey, hey. yeah just just say slavery slavery it is sir approved yes i am a citizen now which way to the welfare office what i'm kidding i'm kidding i work i work all right Okay, that was brilliant. So I'm glad I found that. That's cool. Uh, we just did that on a fly. That was not planned. That, that's the kind of stuff the rail splitter does. Hey, yeah, that's nothing but the best, too. That's why I have an iPad plugged into the soundboard. So Nicely done, sir. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yes, Apu was right. There were other factors. However, I think the guy giving the test is like, hold on a second, it was about slavery. And really, I think that too much pressure on the economic issues and all the other blah, blah, blah um, takes away from the fact that it was slavery. Okay, let's look at the speech. Um, you it, gonna recite it for us? Uh, I will not recite it. In your it. best, Daniel Day Lewis, Abraham uh, Lincoln. We were, I, you know, I reached out to Daniel Day Lewis, and he said, "You know what? That's enough. I'm, I'm retiring from acting." He I was said, too busy doing it. his woodworking out in his cottage that's, in Ireland. That's right. Yeah. So it's. Um, hey, did you know? I told you just bring this up, Rand. He broke up with one of his girlfriends through a fax. A fax? Yeah. Was it, was it like recently? Because that no, <laughs> that would be so Daniel Day Lewis if he did it recently. Yeah. Like, hey, you got, got, got you have to go to this uh, Kinko's FedEx because there's a fax coming in for you. And I've been told Liam Neeson, if he was going to break up with a girlfriend, he would do it through text. Team Neeson. Team Neeson. <laughs> Hashtag Team Neeson. Uh, let's invent. Let's like go with this debate even more. Okay, so looking at the speech, um, you know, it's about what five, four, four sentences, five sentences in. Um, he says, in my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. So basically he's saying we're gonna, the, the war is going to happen and we're going to have to get through it. And then he says a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect, expect it will cease to be divided. And. I think by the time uh, 58 is coming around, I mean, you're seeing that more than ever. Mm-hmm. With the Kansas-Nebraska Act, things playing out in Kansas the, the way they are. You know, John Brown has put his name out there now at this time. And I think just everything is – every issue that comes up with slavery, instead of – it just intensifies the issue. Right. From Kansas-Nebraska Act on until the Civil War starts. Right, right. I mean, and – and really, the division he's talking about, I mean, the second sentence, you know, talking about the fifth year since um, the popular sovereignty idea has been around and the expansion of slavery, um, he says, with avowed object and confident promise of putting an end to slavery agitation. He specifically mentions slavery. He's not talking about sectionalism or nullification or whatever. Like, he's talking about slavery specifically. And then he mentions opponents of slavery and those that wanted to expand. The speech is about slavery so when and we will get to a point where we'll talk a little bit more about the lincoln douglas debates but when you kind of break that down and you know they do kind of try to skirt around the issue a lot and they you know he sounds a little different in the southern part of illinois than in the northern part of illinois and all that i get all that um but the fact that immediately after he gets the nomination he delivers the house divided speech this election was about the 1858 senate election was about slavery it's I, 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 and I don't mean to oversimplify it. And I think the House Divided speech is important, and there's a reason it's famous. Um, however, uh, I do think that that trying to skirt around the slavery issue is is just not right. Well, he, you know, the first part, basically, which is what we're talking about now, that speech is 
you know, he's basically, here's the issue that's dividing the nation, slavery. And then the rest of the speech is extremely fascinating to me because now his goal is to basically paint this picture of Douglas and the Democrats, almost like a conspiracy theory he's throwing out there, in a sense, for the middle chunk of this, Mm -hmm. um, saying that the Democrats, you know, um, wanted the Kansas Brass Act to open up more area to slavery, you know, to get rid of the compromise of the Missouri Compromise, Compromise of 1850. And then he's saying the you have the election of Buchanan. And then he brings up the fact that the Dred Scott ruling does not come out until after the election. And he brings up that Buchanan literally says, I will support whatever decisions made. And then he kind of says, then two days later, here comes the decision of the Dred Scott case where Congress pretty much says, or excuse me, the Supreme Court says Congress does not have the ability to basically deny slavery in these new territories. So he's kind of drawing all these dots to like, why are the Democrats doing almost kind of implying that there's some type of conspiracy theory there. Right. And I, but I think it's more, I think it's a little bit more plausible than, you know, it's not like a crackpot out there conspiracy theory. Like, you know, Roger Taney, the chief justice was, a, you know, I think history's view of him is pretty accurate as a, as not a quality individual. Um, I don't think the decision was a surprise to, to a whole lot of slavery, you know, proponents of slavery. I, I think what happened is these rulings came out and then Lincoln was smart enough to draw all these dots to it, to play it up for political gain mm-hmm. um, and to kind of unite the Republicans. And then, you know, that bo- that the last part of the speech is really drawing Douglas into this. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Douglas is kind of wishy-washy, not really talking about slavery um, in context, his silence you know, after the Kansas-Nebraska Act, is him approving of all this. You know, if he doesn't care what it is, well, then he must want slavery then. Right. Kind of playing in that context to really unite the Republicans behind him so they don't side with Douglas Mm -hmm. um, for the election there. Right, right. And it's interesting how that flies in the face of the idea of popular sovereignty, like saying, let the people decide whether or not they're going to have slavery, and then, but the Dred Scott decision says, yeah, but not Congress who are elected, you know? Um, so it's, I mean, it's, I hate to use the word states or the term states' rights, but I think that's kind of what they're saying is the people of their own states can decide, not Congress. Um, and then that's, and, and I think that there's certainly politicians that then play that up to try to create the myth of states' rights when really they're trying to protect what they viewed as property. Agreed. You know, something else I came across, I was reading this. I'm kind of a big Cold War guy. I enjoy teaching that. Um, when I had the opportunity, um, which I do every year, second semester. So there you go. I am teaching it. I, we got to remember, this is my boss across there. Um, so I don't like that term. Okay. <laughs> not during this moment, though. No, not at all. But essentially what Lincoln is arguing and what he says, he's for a policy of containment, is Lincoln's belief. He believes in this idea of the policy of containment. He does not want to see slavery spread. But he's very clear in a lot of his speeches that he gives. He's not going to go down there and take it away if he keeps the union together, especially at the beginning. Right, and I think that's a great point because with that, if you extend that Cold War analogy to the next step, like containment is similar to appeasement, right? But like, is there any question whether those in favor of containment were in favor of communism? Well, then the idea behind it too is why contain it? 
because we believed communism, America, that is, believed that it was internally flawed mm-hmm. um, and it would die out on its own. Lincoln was a big believer that slavery as a system was internally flawed and would um, die out on its own. And I think that yeah. I think that was part of his – I don't know if that's part of his thought process, but you could I, maybe draw those parallels. Yeah, and this – I mean, I think this goes down to a road that I think is going to be the common, common theme in the podcast, which is – you know, politician Lincoln and I. My my lifelong thesis is that Lincoln was a genius politician. He was not an abolitionist, and if he were an abolitionist, he would not have because abolitionists didn't get anything done. Politicians did. It, it, I mean, I, I don't want to say they didn't get anything done, but like Lincoln led the action with input from them. They were very important people. I don't want to underplay that. Um, I I think he knew that if he did not have a policy of containment, in other words, if he went into those Lincoln-Douglas debates or if his House Divided speech was abolish slavery now, 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 for all coming time, you know, if he gave that speech that we played from the Daniel Day-Lewis, he would have never been a national figure. He would have been Seward, but from Illinois, where Seward would have never, you know, that, that idea would have been cast out immediately. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a Lincoln, Lincoln apologist, but I do think he was smart enough, his political genius was that, that he knew slavery was evil, he knew slavery was wrong, and he was an abolitionist. However, he was by trade a politician, and, and he knew in order to abolish slavery, you needed to first contain it. You needed to first have a policy of containment. I think um, you bring up an interesting point mm-hmm. as to the political aspect in this. There was a lot of people that were against him giving this speech mm-hmm. because they felt like it was he was portraying himself as an abolitionist and they were worried about that. And that's actually how Douglas, I think when Douglas first got this, he had to feel like he almost was sitting on some gold here that he could use this and turn this against Lincoln. Um, and then Lincoln spent a lot of time defending his stance, mm-hmm. this stance of no, 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 I'm not an abolitionist. I'm more of a, we'll just say policy containment right. with slavery. You know, that's my stance. And he spent a lot of time. And then out of this led to some of those remarks that we've talked about, that you know make Lincoln, that don't make him look so favorable in context now in 2017. Looking right. back on it, right? Because he had to defend that. Why was he doing it? Obviously, you believe he was doing it for political. You know, the politics of that time dictated right. he had to do that. Right. And and, and don't get me wrong. I, I have heard a lot of, and I've gotten into some fun debates with a lot of people who are like, he only did that to get votes. He only did that to get votes. And part of me wants to say, like, well, yeah, that's that's what people that are running for office do. However, I don't believe he ever really sold out, or at least not not in a true sense. Like he didn't he didn't do things simply to get elected. He had a stance, and his ultimate goal was to abolish slavery. And the one significant way to defend that point is he abolished slavery. <laughs> you know, like at the at the culmination in January of 1865, the Constitution was amended to eliminate slavery. For all coming time. So, well, what he said in 1858 certainly carries a lot of weight. But I, but if we judge him based on that, we ignore the fact that that was a step on a path to abolition, and he was the one that got us there. And that was, by the time he he, he dies, it's an evolution too of his views, his experience, what he's seen firsthand, and I think his stance on slavery. And I think this ties into um, the next podcast with the book that you want to focus in on. It's kind of the evolution of his slavery stance Mm -hmm. and how it changed over time. Sure. And, you know, I don't think 1858 Lincoln ever thought he was going to have a movie made where it's basically (laughs) fighting for the right, you know, um, 
you know, the right to vote for ex-slaves. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think he ever, I don't think he would ever have predicted that in 1858. I, I, doubtful, although he's a genius, so maybe he did. Um, that is true. Uh, okay, uh, I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about a couple other quick points. We've been talking for a while, so I um, want to move on a little bit. Um, I think a lot is made of the fact that the house divided line came from from the Bible. Um, I I pulled that out. It's from Mark chapter three. I'm not a huge Bible reader, I'll be honest. Um, a kingdom, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. However, perhaps it would have been super metal of Lincoln if he put in the next line, and if Satan is divided. And rises against himself, he cannot stand. His end has come. I'm like, wow, they, they just went straight to straight to Satan. So interesting when he's talking about slavery as being divided in the next line is Satan. But I just thought that, that that's whoever translated whatever language this was originally written in. So like, if Satan is divided and rises against himself, whatever, I don't know how Satan would rise against himself. Like, it's Armageddon, Satan rises, but he's against himself. So <laughs> it's not going to work. You had me lost on the metal. I was just thinking of a riff to put behind it. No metal, yeah, like just yeah. Oh, you mean like You're a guitar like, riff? Like heavy yeah, metal yeah. No, I mean yeah, there. metal. Satan. Yeah, like, no, I got you. Know, you. Yeah. yeah, it's very metal. So you know, I do love heavy metal. It's not all Satanish. <laughs> no, you're like actually. If, if I could take a minute, to very defend little heavy metal, of it is. I know, but I'm just joking. Yeah, with you. I, I'm not. I'm not a metal person, and I did. I apologize, metalheads, that I stereotyped you guys as saying Satan. Um, Perhaps that's just high school me coming through, and because we used to always like talk about metal and say Satan, and it was fun. Um, also, kind of drawing a, one other parallel, I liked. I'm I'm kind of a fan of drawing parallels to today and looking at today's world through Lincoln. Um, I think we do need to mention, and I don't think it was a coincidence that in 2007, when Barack Obama announced his candidacy for president of the United States, uh, that he did it on the steps of the old state capitol, which is exactly where Lincoln gave the House Divided speech, and he referenced it, and I'll play that for you. It was here in Springfield where North, South, East, and West come together that I was reminded of the essential decency of the American people, where I came to believe that through this decency, we can build a more hopeful America. And that is why, in the shadow of the old state capitol, where Lincoln once called on a house divided to stand together, where common hopes and common dreams still live, I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. So I think that that's brilliant. I I love that stuff. I think it fits in greatly with presidential history, but I do think it's an example of let's take the house divided speech and make it mean what we what we want it to mean. You know, Lincoln was not calling for a house to stand together. He was saying, this is going to fall apart and it's going to, it's going to take a crisis and we're going to get through it and be all one thing or all the other. Um, he was predicting a massive major crisis. He was not saying we are a decent American people. Let's come together because the coming together obviously killed a generation of young American people, you know? So, you know, the house divided quote from it, it's very important, obviously. Um, it's a great quote, and, and it really speaks to the times. But I, th- I encourage you, if you haven't read the whole speech, read that whole speech. To me, I, I almost felt like the more I read it, you know, preparing for this episode and thought about it, it's really a speech 
to unite his party behind him and to paint a target on Douglas's back. It, from a political motive point, it is a speech of political genius to get to the point that he felt he needed. Um, the strategy and the reason he presented this speech um, to me is very fascinating. And I would encourage uh, the listeners to go out there and really read it and think of it in that context. Um, and to me, I, I just find the, the second and last third of it to be so fascinating um, and kind of how he's trying to put this picture together and kind of paint, you know, Douglas as this super pro-slavery guy um, and kind of putting a target on his back. And then kind of seeing the ramifications from this, you know, um, short term, he had to do a lot of defending of this speech mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, play that political tightrope game we were talking about earlier. So and then that probably fed into the, you know, the the Lincoln Douglas debates. He spent oh, a lot yeah. of time um, doing this. I read somewhere that uh, Douglas in his like 20 something speeches afterwards, he brought this speech up and every one of them but one. So he felt that it was, you know, a tool for him to paint Lincoln into a corner. So. Yeah, and I do think, and that's a great point about him, Douglas bringing it up that many times. I mean, it clearly it, it was important then as it is now. Um, and also, you know, if you do read it or if you're just kind of thinking about it, it's always important to put into context or at least think about. We're talking about someone born with nothing, raised with nothing, less than a, f- a couple months of formal education. Um, and this is early, fair, you know, relatively early um, in his career, at least certainly on a national level, and just eloquent and brilliant and beautiful words. So. I love the way he structures his arguments. And then I really thought about that. I read that Cooper Union speech mm-hmm. that he gave out on the East Coast mm-hmm. and the way he laid out all the founding fathers, like 21 out of the 35 supported, um, you know, were against slavery expansion. And then just the way he structures an argument, which is so lost in this day and age. Oh, God, yes. Um, and, and as a teacher who tries to teach uh, teenagers how to structure an argument, I can tell you it's a, it's a challenge. Um, but, yeah, he, he is a master at presenting an argument. I agree. I agree. He's a master at, at, at a lot of things, but I think his speech and his writing, probably his writing more so than his speech, um, were, were really what made him brilliant. So. Uh, that's all we're going to talk about today. We'll, we may, well, I'm sure we'll revisit uh, the House Divided speech several times in um, various fashions. Of course, we do end every show every week with our weekly segment, This Week in Lincoln. We are super excited about This Week in Lincoln this week. You may have noticed it when you logged in and checked out our podcast today, but we have a new logo, which is awesome. We're super happy about it. Um, and the new logo is This Week in Lincoln. And I'm going to let Nick talk a little bit about how we came up with this thing that we're so proud of. Yeah, as you know, um, I kind of, we mentioned a couple times, uh, you know, um, one of my classes, we do a lot of filming and make a videos, documentaries. And one of the students who's graduated about a year ago, I believe, um, you know, I work with him on some video projects. I was talking to him. I'm like, we really need a logo for our podcast. Would you be interested in doing it? We basically gave him some ideas, and he took the ball and ran with it. Um, so he did a great job. I really like the font that he used, tied in the American flag as far as the rail splitter um, text goes. And then he did a nice job with the logo. It's a microphone, basically, wearing a top hat with the Lincoln beard. So um, we're very happy, very proud of it. The kid's name is Nick Talon. I know he loves to hear his name mentioned. So 
Uh, we'll make him wait the whole episode, though. That was by design. There you go. Um, so he does great works. I know him and his brother actually do a video podcast, The Talent Brothers, where they review some movies. So maybe there is a collaboration down there for us. Uh, get a guest on there and break down the Lincoln video, perhaps. There you go. And that's Talent, T-A-L-A-N. So look for The Talent Brothers. What's, you know what the title of their podcast is? The Talent Brothers. The Talent Brothers. So T-A-L-A-N. Check, him, check them out. Uh, thank you, Nick. I What I like most about the logo is it really captures, I think, what we want to do with this podcast because it's fun. You know, it's got it's a microphone that looks like Abraham Lincoln because we're not, we're not trying to out-history ourselves and get too crazy. We're just Lincoln enthusiasts. We want to have fun with it. We want it to be light yet still educational. I mean, we're still going to talk about the Lee Compton Constitution and the Dred Scott decision and break down a 200-year-old speech. Um, but really, this is about uh, just being happy about history, being happy about Abraham Lincoln. Well, and, we're drinking beer and, as we talk and about we this. Are, we are of age and enjoying it. So super happy with that logo. Um, Remember, if you have any feedback for us, anything you're interested in, please contact us, email us, um, rate us. You know, you yes. heard the whole episode. Go on iTunes. Yes. Rate what, us. What, whatever you're feeling right now, if it's anger, if it's happy, hopefully it's happiness, or... Uh, you know, rate us. Yeah. We'll take good, bad, mediocre at this point. Give Write us a us rating. A shoot us an email. Tweet at us. We're at RailsplitterPod on Twitter and Instagram. Every rating um, and review, you know, you automatically get 15 Railsplitter points. 15 RailsplitterPod points. And this week in Lincoln was the logo. I will tweet that out and uh, change our Twitter handle and all that kind of stuff, or our uh, Twitter profile pic to, to that. Um, but I also want to mention, hopefully, at a point not in the not-too-distant future, we'll have T-shirts and bumper stickers and all kinds of stuff that we'll have available for people with that really cool logo to try to get the word out so nick are we good on the house divided episode episode three i'm feeling good heck you know we we, we get enough viewer listeners you know maybe i'll get that tattooed on me somewhere the across his jugular on the side of his neck the rail splitter logo maybe. you can never have too many neck tattoos you can never motto. have uh, arguably you can never have too many so Thank you, everyone, from listening international listeners, Illinois listeners, coast-to-coast listeners in the United States. To our mate in Australia, hopefully you're enjoying a nice brew. That's right, man. Uh, uh, Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you next week. So keep carrying on with Malice Toward None and with Charity for All, and we will see you soon.